Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental and more. Learn more at uh1.com. and welcome back to Mads World. I'm your host Mads and I hope you've been enjoying the show so far. If you have, it would mean loads to me if you could remember to subscribe, rate and review the podcast. Most importantly, if you do like the show, sharing it with your mates is a great way to support Mads World, so get chatting. This week I'm delighted to be joined by Madeline Heather. That's right, double Mads to chat about some of our funniest dating tales alongside a discussion around the themes raised in Maddie's incredible podcast Reclaim Me. Reclaim Me is a true crime podcast, hearing the stories of abuse and assault from those at the center of them, the survivors. Maddie is a sexual assault survivor and advocate for survivors of abuse. It is her belief that our voices can empower survivors to share and educate the public on what these crimes look like. Together, we can reduce the disability experienced by survivors and decrease the occurrence of these crimes. Please be aware that this episode will discuss sexual assault and may be triggering for some listeners. Hello, Maddie. It feels so weird to say that because we have the same name. I know. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for joining the pod. So let's start with our speed date round so everyone can get to know you a bit better. So how did you and I first meet? I actually don't remember meeting you, but we went to high school together. So yeah. I have no memory <laughs> of you like and me being friends at school. <laughs> yeah, literally. Like, I don't think we spoke once in school. We just like started DMing <laughs> each other in lockdown last year. Like I you'd be like drunk on a Saturday night, be Saturday morning for me or vice versa and like we just ended up talking about, I don't know, I feel like we had lots in common on our views on the world and stuff. Plus your housemate was really hot, so I kept sliding into his DMs. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I was just going to say that once I walked into the kitchen and you were FaceTiming my housemate. <laughs> oh, I hope he's listening to this. We'll have to tell him to listen. <laughs> yeah, he is very hot. <laughs> yeah, he's stunning. Um, we'll link him in the bio. Um, next question. What is your favourite zoo animal? I think a sloth. Oh, I do love a sloth. They're little cute faces I just want to like I remember when I was in Costa Rica I went and I saw a heap of sloths there and it was honestly I can't even describe it <laughs> what like so you saw cute. them in real life what they were like in the trees and stuff yeah moving so slowly and then one <laughs> of the guys was like yeah um most of them die just by falling oh. out of trees because they're trying to get down to go to the toilet <laughs> they're just oh so dumb oh my god <laughs> 
Oh, it's actually so sad. They're just so, they're so such majestic animals. I love them so much. I think my favorite zoo animal would have to be, and it's just, this is so rogue, but I was thinking about it. And I just find pigeons at the zoo that aren't in cages so funny because like, even though it's the lion's cage, <laughs> a pigeon can, can just fly in there and be like, mm, look at me, I can do what I want. I can fly around, then just fly out. And like, it's like, <laughs> so what, are you, what are you doing here? <laughs> yeah, it's like a different dimension. <laughs> literally <laughs> literally and it's like at the footy like you're just watching the football and like a pigeon will just fly onto the field and it's just like mm, look at me I'm on TV and then just fly away and you're like you can honestly just do whatever you want like so speaking funny. of football and pigeons <laughs> yeah there's this really famous picture of Scott Pendlebury from Collingwood and he went to bounce the ball <laughs> and he he literally <laughs> bounced it on top of a pigeon <laughs> <laughs> the pigeon was okay. Like, get out of the way, bro. <laughs> I sent you the photo. It's so funny. Oh, my God. I just think it's so funny. And no one does anything. Like, they just fly into, like, they can fly into the giraffe cage. They can just fly wherever. They just walk around on the path like humans. Like, they just do whatever they want. And I just love it. Just love that for them. I love it. <laughs> Next question is, what makes you laugh the most? I, 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 can't, I I've been thinking about this so much and I don't know. But I just get into yeah. like to this morning I was with my mate and we just got hyper focused on one thing and I could <laughs> not stop laughing. You know when you're just with your friend and yeah. then you both start laughing? Mm-hmm. And it snowballs, like it just goes and goes. <laughs> Yeah, so, so we good. were on the couch together, and like mm-hmm. our toes touched. It was disgusting, <laughs> but we were in absolute stitches, like <laughs> the equivalent to a ab workout. Oh my god! Yeah, I think like it, it's so true when you find something that snowballs with your friends. This guy I met in Budapest, he was like a, a demolition worker, and one time they found this fossilized cat that was like under the ground, and it looked like a mummy, and they just. Like it just snowballed so much and they started like putting it on like in like clothes and then they'd like put it like with a hundred dollar bill up its nose and like like it was snorting coke and like there's just this fossilized <laughs> cat in this demolition office. And honestly, like it just gets me going every time. It's so fucking funny. <laughs> I love that so much. Well, we were talking about this morning, we were on the couch together and he just randomly goes, you know you went on this date with this guy and he'd he'd come over to his old place. So the guy that I was dating Mm. went to see me and my friend Matt Um, Mm. and he came into the house. We were going to stay up really late and go and watch um, a soccer game Mm. (laughs) and this guy comes over (laughs) and he just goes, yeah, I'm um, I'm a bit tired. So he went went to sleep in in his bed and just slept for four hours and then he decided that he didn't want to come out because he was too tight so he just left. Was this meant to be a date? (laughs) Yes. What the hell? So my my friend Matt was like, oh, all right, that's – um." (laughs) <laughs> nice, nice to meet you. He <laughs> just slid. Like he'd never met this guy before. <laughs> oh that was my the first god. time. It was really <laughs> Oh my god, that is so funny. Oh my god, we should we have to do an episode about that. I have to get this person on the podcast. I fucking love that so much. Like hey, I'm really tired. I'm just gonna have a snooze and then um leave. <laughs> yeah. He's very, very good looking uh, as well. <laughs> oh, 
I mean, maybe that's how he can get away with it. Maybe this is his, his common thing that he does. Well, it is. Another time we went to the um, we went to the cricket together, and he was so tired, he fell asleep in his chair next to me at the <laughs> cricket. But he told me he was going to because he needed to re-energize. <laughs> like, just need to get a few few Z's in, and I'll be back. <laughs> Yeah, oh no god, idea. I'm like, so jealous of people that can fall asleep anywhere. Yeah, I just, just <laughs> thought it was so funny, but yeah, that was us oh. two together this morning in absolute hysterics, crying about the, the shitty dating decisions that I've made. <laughs> that is so funny. Well, that is perfect for the podcast. Um, we've got two more questions <laughs> for the speed date round. So, do you live by a motto or a mantra, and what would yours be? I definitely live by if. You think you know everything, you know nothing. Whoa. I always think that we we all have something to learn. It doesn't matter if you're an expert in any field, mm. um, you have something to learn. And if you think that you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Oh, that is so true. And I think as well, if you treat everyone like you can learn something from them, you will honestly enrich your life so much. Like if you approach every relationship as though someone can teach you something new, you'll just be so open to like becoming a better person. I fully believe that. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're just more, you know, open to discussions, to learning, Mm. but I think it's also having some kind of peace from within in knowing that you're not better than anybody else as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. I love that. I think in terms of a motto, I don't have a motto or a mantra, but I do have like a sobriety, like I guess it is a mantra that I live by. So the mantra is I'm a happier person when sober, kinder to my friends and more productive. And I just think if I'm ever feeling like I want to have a drink, I just think, okay, I am happier, more productive and kinder to my friends. And then all of that just trumps any desire to like have a drink and just know that I'll be hungover or no, I can't do the podcast or, you know, know that I might be feeling anxious or depressed or whatever. So I think it's cool to have a little, a little life motto, but I mean, it can evolve and change over the course of your life. I guess I never would have said that was my motto, you know, a year ago, (laughs) but here we are. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a good motto. And my last question is, what is the best thing about being single? Um, I think just being a bad bitch. Um, <laughs> so, no, I think yes. I love um, – I think after lockdown I have a new appreciation for myself. You know, I just recently went on a holiday mm-hmm. on my own to Bondi in Sydney mm. and it was just so nice to go and not have, you know, anybody to – have to make plans with. You can just do whatever you want. Um, And I like the fact that Mm -hmm. I'm not in any way trying to please somebody else. I've had this time to focus on myself, think about what I want to do. You know, I think had I not been single, I don't know if I would have started my podcast and I don't know if I would have done a lot of the social things that I've done because I've allowed myself Mm -hmm. to put time into that um, instead of putting time into a relationship. So it's been a really good space for me over the past few years. God, that is so good to hear as a newly single person. Honestly, that is so inspiring. (laughs) And I think a lot of um, my most recent relationship was heavily tied into my sobriety and sort of discovering myself and finding myself in that. But I'm I'm learning even two weeks out of it that – yeah, I, I am excited to see how this goes on my own and see how the podcast progresses on its own and sort of hopefully become more successful in everything. And I guess just learning to like love yourself as a single person is super important. And yeah, I am looking forward to that despite the heartbreak. But um, <laughs> yeah, 
it's definitely uncomfortable. Yeah, a hundred percent. And it's a growing, it's a painful growing process, but you know what? It's um, hopefully going to all turn out for the best in the end. My housemate actually told me a really good quote and this is how, this is helping me so much, but she said, if life feels like it's saying no, it's either saying not right now or something better is coming. So it's like, you can just take comfort in the fact that it's either not right for right now, but by the time you are ready to deal with that, then something new will be presenting itself to you. And I'm just like, oh my God, that honestly gives me so much peace. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I love that. All right. Amazing. Well, thank you so much again for joining the podcast and you have an amazing dating story for our story time, um, which I would just love for you to reel off for us. And then we can chat a little bit more about the themes that are brought through in your podcast, Reclaim Me, which I've done a little bit of an intro about at the start. So um, yeah, I'll put a link in the description for everybody listening. But yeah, if if you want to tell us about your tragic dating story, then we can follow up with some more questions later on. Yeah, I'm already laughing thinking about it. I can't actually remember his name <laughs> right, but this guy and I met on Tinder, I think, and he was Welsh and I was like, oh, you know, he was nice mm-hmm. and everything. We talked for a little bit and he was like, what are you doing tonight? I think it was like a Thursday. He was like, I'm actually a music journalist. Um, I have an, an additional ticket to the Wombats. Do you want to go see the Wombats? And I was like, um, yes, I'm so excited. <laughs> like, of course, I love the Wombats. Like, who wouldn't say? <laughs> but I didn't actually think of, like, how the date would go. I mean, it's kind of – but we were in seats, you know what I mean? I'm like, it's fine. Anyway, so, like, we got to the mm-hmm. venue. They didn't have the tickets for him, so we had to go through this, like, awkward thing where it was like we actually might not be able to go. <laughs> standing out the front oh no um but we got in um I bought him a beer and we were just chatting but it was like I got the sense that he didn't like me yeah (laughs) it was one of those conversations you know where where you kind of you get the one word answers back and I kind of started to think before we went in like oh fuck I'm going to literally have to sit with this person for a couple of hours like I have I don't know what to do. Mm. So, but anyway, I was like, okay, I'm just going to, I'm naturally extroverted. I'm just going to talk um, and that will be fine. So it was all right. We went in and then right before the band started, like before anything was on, he <laughs> sat down, like the lights were still on. Like it was like basically daylight in this room and he, <laughs> he looked at me and he just <laughs> smiled and he said, yeah, I've been doing this for a long time. And then he put earplugs in. <laughs> <laughs> you can't hear it. He can't hear you anymore. <laughs> I know, Mike. I think it's a sign for me to stop talking. Um, but then, like, the band started, and then I, I think I tried to like tap him and say something, and he looked at me with his like begrudging look on his face, and then he took his ear plug out. Yeah, <laughs> and then yeah, he basically just said. Oh, and then he answered the question. I think I'd said something about the performance or s- something. Yeah. Um, but it was like he was annoyed that I spoke to him during an <laughs> act or something. Like, like we're on a date. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really weird. So afterwards we went for a beer and he ordered um, a Cascade Premium Light and I was like, nah, that's it for me. I'm done. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> I was an out and out Bogan. That's too much. Yeah, so <laughs> basically I was like, I was like, I'm going to go. And this is in St. Kilda, like in the middle of the night, which isn't the most like safest area. 
Um, <laughs> and, yeah, I was just like, oh, okay, I'm just going to go. Um, would you mind walking me to my car? And he said no. <laughs> <laughs> no, he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> he walked me to my car nah sorry no, <laughs> what the fuck he was like oh sorry he basically said sorry my car's here <laughs> so I walked him to his car I was like That's we never spoke again like I got home and he'd unmatched me <laughs> oh my god are you joking I don't know what I'd done oh my god that that that's actually a classic that oh my god, the earplugs in so he doesn't have to listen to you. What a diabolical bastard! That is so funny. Oh my god, it was just so, it was so awkward. You know, like yeah. I I was on a date with this person and it was like you literally cannot speak. I don't want you to speak. I am actually putting in earplugs because I don't want to listen to you. I'm actively saying to you, please don't talk to me, even though I've asked you out. <laughs> I just remember being so awkward because we were sat down. Like I was I was like, what do I do with my body? And I remember feeling yeah. so awkward about what to do with my body. So I was like dancing and sitting. <laughs> yeah. I was like mum tapping my knee along with the, <laughs> the music. Oh my god, I do hate sitting at a gig. You have to I feel like you have to be general admission in that mosh, like standing up, like your beer's sloshing everywhere, everyone's sweat. It's so non-COVID, but oh, I love the thought of it. <laughs> yeah, just, oh my gosh. So awkward. So good. Yeah, I have a similar story. Um and it was also like sitting down at a gig, but mine wasn't as tragic. It was just this guy. He was also a music journalist and he took me to see Blink-182 at Wembley, but we were like back in the seats up the top. And again, we were kind of sitting like, then we were standing up, like having a dance and that. But I feel so weird when you're not on the floor, like dancing around with all the other people. You, I'm just looking down at them. Like, I'm so jealous of you. Like everyone's just going absolutely insane, like running around and like shoving each other. I'm like, I want that to be me. And then after the date, we walked me to the tube and I was kind of like, I, I didn't really want to kiss him or anything. Cause it was just such a friend's vibe. And he was such a lovely guy, but I was kind of like, um, and then just did like the awkward peck where you're like, mm, don't know, like, are we going to kiss? Like, I don't really get it. And it's like, you just like bump lips. And I was like, See ya. <laughs> well, he sounds like a really gentleman. At least he walked you to the tube. I mean, yeah, he'd walk you to the tube. Like, <laughs> unlike your guy who didn't even walk you to the car in St Kilda of all places. If you're from England and you're listening, this would be like it's like the it's like ends. It's like the estate. You don't want to go there alone at night. <laughs> no, that's so funny though. You know what? These, they they reel you in with tickets to gigs, but I'm still happy that I went. <laughs> Literally, but also Are I you feel happy like that we you still went? got something out of it. I'm so glad I went. Yeah. I saw Blink-182. <laughs> it was incredible. I couldn't have asked for a better date except that it was just more of a friend's vibe. So it was stunning really. Yeah. <laughs> Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. 
But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I love that for us. Awesome. Well, yeah, thank you so much for um, sharing that amazing story. Um, So I wanted to bring you on the podcast today because we've been wanting to do a little bit of a podcast crossover for Maddie and Maddie for a while now because you have an awesome podcast called Reclaim Me where you speak to survivors of abuse. And yeah, if you want to tell us a little bit more about the podcast, we can jump into some questions that um, will hopefully open up a nice little discussion. Yeah, absolutely. So I started Reclaim Me at the end of last year as a a platform for survivors of abuse to tell their stories in their own words um, so that they can reclaim the narrative and reclaim their voices to tell their stories. Often when we listen to true crime, we're listening to somebody relay somebody else's story um, and oftentimes mm. people aren't here to tell them themselves, which is really a dynamic that I wanted to change. You know, what I I was sitting down struck one day that, you know, everyone in Australia, for example, knows who Ivan Milat is, who's a serial killer, but mm. nobody knows the names of his victims and nobody yeah. knows about them, about their background, about their story, about why they were traveling here. Mm. You know, they were murdered. Um, a lot of those um, victims were backpackers. Mm-hmm. And I, it just struck me that that these are the voices that are central to what has happened and they're important for them to be able to tell those stories mm-hmm. but also for people to listen to and learn from what we're hearing in the details of what's happened you know um when somebody's recounting domestic violence and we're talking about red flags or you know we're talking about different types of things you get to hear nuanced detail while also allowing the survivor to tell their story yeah. So that's basically Reclaim Me. Amazing. Honestly, that is so, so insightful and such a good way of looking at it. I mean, you're so right in saying that all the focus is on the perpetrator of those crimes. And half the time, that's probably what a lot of people who commit those crimes are looking for. They're looking for the gratification or the glory or the fame or whatever it might be. And it's like, we shouldn't be yeah, putting our energy into that. We should be putting our energy into remembering the people that were affected or the people that have survived 
those crimes and the, that trauma. So I thought we could ask, I could ask a couple of questions that, um, I mean, you're, you're such an expert in this field and you're doing a lot of activism and stuff on social media. You're doing an awesome job of educating people. So I think, yeah, let's just start with what is consent to you in your own words? So consent to me is coming to a decision of your own free will. Consent is not defined as a yes or a no. In my mind, what it is is coming to a decision without the input of anything else. So you on your own make a choice or you come to a choice through your own decision-making and your own environment kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, when we talk a little bit more about different types of scenarios and things like that, then that might make a little bit more sense. But basically it is you coming to the decision on your own free will. Okay. And why do you think some people might not be so clear on consent and where do you think this stems from? I think we have it in our minds that yes is what consent is. Mm -hmm. And people think that if I can get you to say yes, then that's consent. Mm. But it's not. If if I was to, you know, be in a situation with a man, you know, maybe we're um, consensually kissing, maybe we're about mm-hmm. to take it a little bit further, you know, in a situation even, maybe we actually are having sex. Mm-hmm. And he turns around and wants to do anal or something, something mm-hmm. different. Mm-hmm. And I say no, right? And if he continues to push it with me, please, you know, they go around on this wheel almost of of things that they will try to do to get you to do that, mm-hmm. coercing you, manipulating you, um, possibly threatening you. And mm-hmm. these are all situations that might make you come to the conclusion that you will do that act, but that might be because you've been coerced, manipulated or forced. Mm-hmm. And those are different things that we need to talk about. It's mm-hmm. not always, you know, the guy in the trench coat that, you know, abducts people that comes in and does these things, you know, sometimes they are consensual acts that become non-consensual, but that's because somebody might be manipulated or coerced or threatened into doing those things. And that's, you know, for the victim, for the person who's going through that, that's where a lot of the guilt and shame comes from as well. So maybe they didn't fight back. Maybe they don't even identify as a victim of sexual abuse. These might not be, you know, things that they're thinking or feeling. They Mm. might feel guilty for for doing that or like that that was okay. But as an aspect of consent, that's definitely one that is often overlooked. So I would like to get away from talking about, you know, no means no and yes means yes um, and move into you know, enthusiasm um, and making sure that you understand that trying to manipulate and coerce somebody going like, oh, please, babe, you know, please, I don't Mm. feel very well. I'm hungover. Uh, Mm. I'll cook you dinner if like these are manipulating tactics. And Mm -hmm. if somebody's coming to that decision that's not of their own free will, then that's not consent. So that's where we really need to start the conversation. Absolutely. And I think as well, it's really interesting what you said about people not even identifying as victims of abuse or sexual assault or whatever it might be that's happened to them. They may be feeling like feelings of isolation or depression or anxiety and not knowing where this is stemming from. But um, yeah, I think it's important that those to, for people to know that those feelings are valid and um, maybe think about situations that they've been pressured into or things that have made them uncomfortable that might be causing these feelings of 
yeah, loneliness or sadness or, you know, stress or anxiety, it's just important to sort of review the relationships you have and realize and understand if they're healthy or if they're unhealthy relationships. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really important to, you know, go seek out help, speak to professionals about this obviously as Mm. well. But, um, you know, I recently started a survivor support network. So there's a heap of survivors in a support group on Facebook. Um, which I can link. But basically there are so many in the last 10 years, basically survivor support areas. Um, I think a barrier to that for a lot of people is not identifying as a survivor. A lot of people mm. think that their what happened to them wasn't bad enough and that other people have it worse than them. They therefore don't feel like they're deserving of going into these groups and things. Mm. But what is important is for you to know that even if you don't potentially identify as a survivor – that you are welcome into those spaces to have those discussions and to talk about it with people. Mm. And it's not a comparison in any way. You know, there's no person alive, right, that has been the victim of a sexual assault and would listen to somebody else's and think theirs wasn't that bad, mine was way worse. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Well, not normal people do that, you know, and it's really important for you to understand that if something has happened to you, your feelings on your own are incredibly valid mm-hmm. and they need to be prioritized. Comparison is the thief of joy. And honestly, if you can try and compare and you you find yourself feeling like yours wasn't bad enough, that's a really good space to kind of navigate with other survivors. Yeah. And, and why do you think it is only being spoken about more in recent years? So you just mentioned there that there is groups of survivors on Facebook that have sort of popped up over the last 10 years. And obviously, um, it's been, it's been given a real push by the Me Too movement and, um, a lot of people coming out and being empowered to share their stories with other survivors and yeah, sort of encourage other people that may have had similar experiences. Why, why do you think it's being spoken about more and more? I think it is in the wake of me too. Um, Mm. you know, I was, I started this all because I'm a survivor of child sexual assault myself and, you know, I grew up in the environment where it was shameful to talk about. It was embarrassing to talk about. Nobody really ever spoke about it. Um, you know, all of my friends would kind of, not that I had bad friends, but they would, if there was a situation where they might need to get involved or something, they would actively not be involved because it's kind Mm. of like that topic where you're like, oh, you know, it's a bit awkward. Mm -hmm. We're all young. We don't want to talk about it. We're just going to ignore it. So I think that was what I grew up in. And in the wake of Me Too um, and also in the wake of the Let Us Speak campaign, which is what Grace Tame, the Australian of the Year, was a part of, people are now having women and men in society and as representation that they can see speaking about these things openly and without shame. And I think it's really important to have that representation that, Mm. you know, we talk about sexual assault, we talk about domestic abuse, we talk about these different types of things in very different dynamics and demographics and have good representation that shows people that this is okay. And I think that's the difference. Nobody would have ever admitted to any sexual assault 20 years ago, mm. um, you know, unless they really had to. It was so shameful. And mm. I think as well there is the level that gender equality now is definitely changing. I feel a change. Mm. Um, as a woman, I feel like my voice is not the one that's not being listened to in the room all of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, there's obviously still a huge gap there and the patriarchy kind of leaves us and our voices 
often unheard. But basically, I think when people used to hear women are victims of sexual assault or women specifically in this instance, they wouldn't be believed. You mm. know, they'd be patronized. They'd be told that they're making it up. They'd be told that they're just regretting an experience that was consensual. Mm. Like the amount of men, actually, to be fair, that I've had mansplain sexual assault to me is ridiculous. But yeah, <laughs> I think with that discussion, I think you know, as women are getting more and more power, as we're leading towards more equality and with women being the overwhelming representation of victims in a lot of these spaces, um, I think that's where the conversation's coming from too. So you touched on there about representation and male sexual assault. So you've interviewed a few members of the LGBT community on your podcast, and I feel like this isn't something that's spoken about as much as assault in the cis community, especially violence against women. So can you tell me more about this and why LGBT people might be less comfortable in coming forward or maybe that their voices aren't being heard as much? Yeah, definitely. I think specifically men who are victims of sexual assaults, Um, if we talk about men that are straight who have been Mm. assaulted by a female, um, it might be met with the response from friends as like a congratulations thing. That's Mm. a good thing, what Mm -hmm. men wouldn't want sex all the time. Then if you think about a straight man in society that is not maybe comfortable with their sexuality or they might be going through a lot of different things, if they were to be sexually assaulted by a man, there is a, a lot of shame that's involved in that, especially mm-hmm. around the feeling of being guilted into being homosexual, which we know is not a problem. But mm-hmm. basically, I think that that's a, a new level that adds on to the, the stress and the anxieties of what you think that the public or that your people around you will perceive you as. Mm-hmm. And when you add the layer on top of that, of the LGBTIQA plus area, you've got that gaslighting already. Like these people are navigating different dynamics in different situations Mm -hmm. that straight presenting cis people are and the feeling I and I totally understand it especially for somebody who is a person of color Mm -hmm. who's navigating these spaces as well how are you going to feel walking into a police station and saying that this happened to you you're already going in there probably thinking I'm not going to be believed you know Mm -hmm. you're talking yourself out of it and I think a lot of that area as well, especially as well because the representation, for example, of a psychologist or of a police officer that's not in a queer-friendly place mm-hmm. is that they're going to be a straight white male. Yeah. And no one really wants to go to him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. They don't want to go to that guy to t- tell them about what they went through. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a lot of perceptions here. But I think as well when you're navigating these spaces, it just needs to talk. We need to talk about it more. Um, you know, a lot of the men that I've spoken to, especially gay men, mm. have spoken about consent and consent in hypersexualized situations and how, you know, there can be a lot of um, consent problems in the gay community in a lot of these spaces. Um, and it's, it was a really interesting conversation to have because, you know, men are not, but men are very much underrepresented, underrepresented in the statistics. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder if we make it more, you know, if we do have more representation, if we do start speaking about these things more, if actually more and more people would start to come forward about them or, mm. you know, is there more happening in the community and happening out there that we're, we're not actually seeing because people aren't coming forward? 
And I think a really interesting point that you said about um, no one wants to go to, you know, an older straight white man to sort of talk about their issues and stuff. That is a huge part of um, the defund the police movement. So everything that happened with um, George Floyd, um, people were kind of saying defund the police, but a lot of people don't actually know what that meant. And a massive part of that was distributing money in the police force in different ways so that the same person who goes to a crime scene and investigates and asks the questions isn't the same policeman that is in in then turn interviewing a victim in a way that might not be, they might not be properly trained in or they might not approach it as sensitively. And like additionally, it might be a different sort of policeman that is interviewing a child after something really traumatizing. It's sort of like fight, like finding specialists and training people in different fields to be able to work on all those different because not every crime is the same like a robbery versus fraud versus sexual assault I mean how can one policeman be expected to manage all of those different emotions and situations and people and they're just such nuanced situations so I think yeah it's so interesting like if we were to approach law enforcement in a different way how things could change and how people could potentially, um, yeah, feel more comfortable coming forward when it comes to things like that by speaking to someone who is trained correctly. Yeah, definitely. And I think you've touched on some things that are really important to talk about. And I think we have this view, you know, through the movies and through um, other people's experiences where if you do go to the police, for example, you know, you're not going to be believed as a survivor and you're going to have to go through all of these different hoops you're going to be interrogated they might put you in court and cross-examine you like all of these different things are are things that we have in our mind and we always go to the end you know we're not thinking about what the actual steps are Mm. now I can speak from my experience and I can speak for um the Victorian state in Australia that I live in we actually have uh in the Victorian police force units called socket teams they're sexual uh sexual offense crime investigation or child investigation teams Mm -hmm. and these are specially trained people to work on sexual and child abuse cases and they are actually a lot of the time multidisciplinary facility with police officers with Mm counsellors um with psychologists with medical staff in the one that's amazing um location in the one office location and the police officers that work in the socket teams are actually plain clothed they're not in a uniform Mm. so Mm -hmm. If you are to go through a sexual assault in Victoria, it is much, much better. You can still go up to a uniformed police officer, of course, or going to a regular police station, but we also have this as a resource that are a part of the police. And they are trained specialists in how to handle that. Mm -hmm. And I think educating people that that exists is so important too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, talking through these spaces um, and, and letting people know that these exist and letting people know that coming forward, for example, might mean that you get, um, say, if it's happened a couple of days ago even, um, it might be getting an evidence collection kit done if you want to do that. It might mean writing down a statement so that they know that it's there. You don't actually have to press charges or go through or anything like that. What you want and what you need is individual to you. A lot of people don't want to come forward to the police. So Mm -hmm. what does being okay in that space look like it might be getting it off your chest and telling somebody close to you what's happened to you that might be all that you need it might be actually identifying that and going in and having an actual honest conversation with your therapist it might mean telling a few other people and sharing your story on social media these Mm -hmm. are all ways that we can 
deal with and cope with things that are actually steps. It, the, the step and the goal is not always prosecution. And mm-hmm. I think people also feel guilty about the fact that they don't want to do that. Yeah. So that's another area that we need to make sure that we're covering. You know, it's in this state, that's what we've done really well. Um, mm-hmm. In the UK, there are different resources, especially online resources and places that you can call mm-hmm. um, that are really wonderful to help navigate these situations. But unfortunately, there you do have to go, I believe, into plain, into uh, uniformed offices, into a station to report. Yeah, and um, I can't speak for the situation in the US either. But um, yeah, I'm definitely going to do some research into that and hopefully be able to provide some resources in the episode description as well. So Moving on to a, a different sort of topic, what impact does porn have on the concept of s- consent and the way sexual assault is perceived? Because I know there's some really interesting statistics that are actually quite devastating about the amount of porn online that would be considered non-consensual. Like it's astonishing figure. Yeah, the amount of people that are taken advantage of or even just like the narrative of some porn online is is quite toxic. So what, what would you say in this space? It definitely. I think – you know, and this does come back to um, a rape culture that we we have in society still. And I think it was I read a, a, an article recently that was over ninety percent of porn online is mm. describing non consensual or illegal type acts. So, wow. a teacher and a student that's illegal. Mm. It doesn't matter if the student's seventeen; if that's their teacher, that's illegal. Mm-hmm. You know that non-consensual sex. You can't consent when it's your teacher. There's a power dynamic there. Mm-hmm. Um, stepchildren, father, daughter, underage girls, you know, it, it, that's something that I want to touch on as well. When people say underage girls, they're talking about children. Mm. A girl can't be underage. An underage girl is a child. So mm. technically you're kind of seeing all of these trends of very, very immature young girls, um, of choking, of gagging, of different types of things that are not always done in a pleasurable way. Mm -hmm. I think one thing that when we talk about rape culture, if you're not having consistent sex conversations with your children, so I mean consistently what is consent, how does sex happen, you know, sex is more than just the physical penetration of sex, especially Mm -hmm. when we're in queer spaces. Mm. Um, With a girl, what is sex? With a boy, what is sex? You know, is what level of different things? These are conversations that we need to be having with young people as they're growing up. People will find ways to fill in the gaps that they don't have. And there are people also online who will very happily teach your children things that you won't talk to them about. So if you don't know anything about sex and you're a young boy, um, and you're navigating this space on your own and you just start to type things in onto porn, 90% of the time you're going to be fed back mm. with one of those narratives. And I think a lot of that can feed into people's sexual preferences or what they might be interested in as they get older because that's what they're conditioned to think is normal behaviour when they're young and that, like, as a result, just contributes to the overall rape culture that plagues our society. Yeah, and I, d- I mean, don't get me wrong, it's not like having a kink is having a kink and we yeah. don't kink shame, you know, or power to you. Um, being interested in different things is is not this. This is the belief that this, the normal standard of sex, of what consent is, mm. of what a relationship, a sexual encounter might look like, having that bar at where a lot of people's is, is a, paints a very disrespectful image of how women are sexually treated. Yeah. Absolutely. One of the things 
uh, in Victoria, basically they've passed a law that consent education needs to become is is mandatory to be a part of the education system now. That's great. Um, which is wonderful. That makes me really happy. But at the same time, the Australian federal government just recently released the stupidest series of ads I've ever seen in my life. Mm. I actually started to radiate heat with anger <laughs> when I saw these ads. Um, I don't know if you've seen them, but it's it's nothing short of embarrassing. Oh, so no. I think that they're to paint a very basic picture. It's mm-hmm. just people using analogies like, you know, you can't steal my milkshake. Um, basically, to try to talk about oh god about consent. What would you say in regards to the importance of boundaries when it comes to both sex and relationships? So you had a really interesting podcast about a toxic friendship that you had as well. So the importance of boundaries is something that is just so widely discussed on a lot of podcasts, across a lot of social media, but what what does it actually mean? What do boundaries mean to you? I think it's creating a clear line and making sure that people are aware of your line, of your boundary. And I think, you know, it seems very clear, right, but even, for example, the other um, last night we were out and because I do the podcast mm. that I do, the amount of people that I have disclosing to me about things that have happened to them is a lot, you know, and I'm 90% of the time completely fine to have those discussions. But I had created a boundary mm. at a point and I'd ask somebody to, can we not talk about this anymore? That's me putting down a mm-hmm. very hard boundary. They kept pushing. They were just like, I do understand this is a very important thing. They're inebriated. These are all these different things, but you've now crossed mm-hmm. my boundary, right? And it's important for me to identify that not only so much for the person to understand that they've crossed it, but also for you so that you can help yourself with navigating mm-hmm. how that feels. Like, okay, I'm a little bit, somebody's just gone past that. I've identified that they've gone past that. And it's now up to me to figure out what I actually need to do to make this not Mm -hmm. affect me. Yeah. And I think in a podcast that we had last week with um, our guest, Nora, she spoke about the beauty of boundaries as well. And basically, if someone has made a boundary clear to you, that's actually them saying, I'm keen to continue this relationship. I'm enjoying this. I just need you to understand where my boundaries lie so that we can have this relationship in a healthy way. So if someone is like making their boundaries clear to you, it's a good thing because it's not them saying, I don't want to engage with you anymore. It's them saying, I'm enjoying getting to know you. And whether it's to do with sex or whether it's to do with a friendship or whatever, it's it's a great thing because that person is comfortable to share their boundaries with you and, you know, continue forward. Absolutely. And I think it's a really great exercise to do as a part of Mm -hmm. healing um, to figure out, you know, are you you letting people – you know, walk all over you? Do you think you're a bit of a doormat? Are you are you going through a lot? Are you not okay kind of thing? And going through the exercise while you're healing and figuring out what the boundaries are that you need to create for yourself in what might make you feel better or what might make you feel more confident or safe, they're really sometimes troubling and hard to have conversations mm-hmm. with yourself but they're also really incredibly empowering and important mm-hmm. to do. And I think as well, talking about healing and boundaries is is so relevant to me at the moment. So with sobriety, I've had to make some, you know, just ground rules for myself. And it's once you've made those decisions and those rules for yourself, it's so much easier to navigate. So for example, if I'm at an event and I've got like three things, if someone who's drunk starts being rude to me, I'll leave. If someone pressures me to drink in any way, I'll leave. And if people start doing drugs, I'll leave. That's my big three. Any three of those things happen, I'm like, well, the decision's made for me. I'm out and then just leave. And it makes my life so much easier. I don't have to put up with drunk people's bullshit. I don't have to 
be in a situation where I feel pressure to drink and if people are doing drugs around me then that just means the vibe's escalating and it's just not somewhere where I want to be when I'm sober so I think yeah you can apply boundaries to any situation where you're healing whether it's a breakup and not texting someone or not feeling like you want to open or reply to a message or anything um, or whether it's a sexual relationship as well just having boundaries like laying down the law like no I won't do xyz I think yeah it's so healthy um, when you're healing and just yeah learning about yourself as a person. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I think I kind of address a lot of my boundaries as kind of goals and targets that mm-hmm. I celebrate. Um, so like exactly what you've just said, you've created that boundary. Somebody's just started to do drugs at a house that you're at and you take that step and you go, nope, I'm putting myself first. I'm actually going to leave this situation. There's a m- mini part of you that actually ticks off a box in your head and goes, yes, I've actually achieved mm-hmm. something now. And you turn this could have been negative situation mm-hmm. into a positive. And that's how I navigate a lot of these boundaries is when I consistently have them um, and when I do put myself first and I successfully do that, I find that quite empowering that I've not let somebody walk over me or I've not given in to somebody's Mm -hmm. shitty requests or anything like that. That is incredible. So um, thank you so much for joining the show. And And my final question is what can listeners do moving forward if they feel empowered to make a change or um, equally, if they feel though, as though this has raised some issues that they might want to share with someone? Yeah. I think the first thing is you need to understand that you don't have to go to the police. Um, but that you can. I would just talk to somebody that you trust, that you love, um, and or reach out to a local service. So in um, Australia, it's 1-800-RESPECT would be a really wonderful mm-hmm. service that you can get in touch with um, or going to one of those um, centers, um, the socket centers. So we can link in all of mm-hmm. those things. But I think, you know, reaching out to different services specifically around sexual assault um, is a really great first step or engaging with other survivors it's just a simple Google, give it a Goog, it's not far, <laughs> and you can start to read those other resources. And, you know, you're not alone. Um, and I think that that's a really important thing to feel as well. Make sure that you're not, the glass is completely empty. Mm, you know, yeah. <laughs> you need to make sure that you're not, not, you might still blame yourself. That's okay. If this is something that you've gone through or something that you're trying to navigate, but you're not having that mindset, well, other people have it worse than me. That doesn't mean in any way that you're not deserving of healing or having a discussion with somebody about Mm -hmm. it. And just knowing that there are services out there that this is their sole job. Mm -hmm. So please reach out to Mm -hmm. them. Um, And I'm also happy to have conversations with anyone as well. And if someone hasn't had an experience that they're concerned about, but they do feel empowered to just do something, if you're feeling enraged about this, or if you're feeling like you want to take some action, or even just as someone who might feel concerned that they perpetuate this sort of rape culture, what can people do? Mm, That's really good. Um, So in Australia, there are um, so the White Ribbon Foundation is really good if you f- if you are somebody who feels like you're you're having these feelings or thoughts, especially about women. Um, if you do want to give, you know, back to the community, and you're like, oh, I've never been through this. I don't know anybody who's been through this. What can I do? There are so many wonderful charities that you can donate to. But even on the level of like, that's not part with our money yet. Just simply share, um, repost, comment on um, the stories of survivors. In, on Instagram, on Twitter, um, amplify the voices of those who are oppressed and make sure that their voices are respected and heard. And I think that's a really great place to start and it's free. 
Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining the show, Mads. And I will link Reclaim Me in the episode description, but you've been an awesome guest. Thank you. Thank you so much. I will say as well, if you do want to learn more about consent specifically, um, I went and listened to Byron Dempsey's podcast recently called Consent and Consequences. Um, there are eight episodes and they go through all of the different you know levels with a former police officer named Brent Sanders. Um, it's relatable. It might not the laws might not be exactly the same, um, especially between um, America, Australia, and the UK, but it very much is the same. But they go through it all in in a lot of detail, and I really recommend at least going and listening to a couple of those because they they explain consent in a way that you will understand. Amazing. Well, thanks so much, Mads. Thank you. I can't wait to have you on my podcast and I can't wait to squeeze you when you come back to Australia. (laughs) Yes. All right. Well, I'll chat to you soon. (laughs) Bye. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Maddie. Please let me know if you have any thoughts, stories or feedback of your own to share. And I have put a link to all of those resources in the episode description. So if you feel like you need to reach out, please do so. Love and elbow taps. Peace. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.